Welcome to Lakeside Church's Message Podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. I'm going to pray. I like to pray before, before we go through Scripture. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, and the reason, the reason I like to pray is because your word was inspired by your spirit. So we ask that the same spirit that inspired this word would be here in our midst, giving us understanding and revelation and speaking to us and helping us to understand what you meant and how it, how it is important to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are in chapter four. We've been doing this for a few weeks. We might get through all of chapter four today. We'll see how it goes. Um, but a little background. Galatians is a book not written to a city. A lot of New Testament books like Corinthians, Ephesians, um, they were written, Philippians, they were written to cities. Galatians was written more to an area um, of kind of smaller towns, smaller cities. It would be like if you wrote a book um, a, a book of the Bible to the southeast. So, you know, if there was not a lot of big cities here, but there was just an area where a lot of people had a lot of similarities. And he wrote it to combat a problem. Here's a little thing that when you read the New Testament, especially the letters in the New Testament, most of them were written to, to combat a problem, to try to fix something that was wrong. And what was happening in Galatia in this region is Paul had gone through, he had reached a lot of people that didn't know anything about Jesus, and he talked about the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross, and what it means, and, and he, just, he just got them to believe in Jesus. But then he had to go. He had to go to other cities and tell other people about Jesus. And some people, well, you believe in Jesus? Well, that's awesome. Well, let me give you... But they said, well, the whole story when Jesus is the whole story. But they said, well, the whole story is not only do you have to believe in Jesus, but you have to follow the whole law and get circumcised and follow all of our feast days. And, and Paul was saying, whoa, what, slow down. You don't need to do that. And he was, he was exalting the gospel, lifting Jesus high. And so last week we read about how Jesus... Um, in fact, we'll start at the, at the end of chapter 3. So Jason, back there, if you go to the end of chapter 3, and we'll go to verse 24, and then we'll go into to chapter 4. Um, because when Paul was writing, he didn't say, all right, chapter 4. This was all kind of one thought. And so in verse 24, he says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. He's going to talk about that whole idea of guardian in chapter 4. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. How do you become a son of God? It's through faith. And you're going to see that the idea is, it's, it's not just that you're a child of God. So ladies, you got to wrap your mind around this. Is You're a son of God because it talks about the the inheritance that is given to sons. The same way, guys, we got to wrap our minds around the fact that we're the bride of Christ. So if I can be the bride of Christ, then ladies, any of you has that were baptized into Christ, we're going to be baptizing today a very ancient tradition in the, in the Christian faith, have put on Christ, verse 28, 
There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one. And that's why I say, ladies, you got to understand what it means to be a son, because the sons get the inheritance. But you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So that's how he ended three. And in four, he's going to take all those ideas and talk about them a little more. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Verse one of chapter four, he says, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. So he's making the point, and, and, and we all agree with this. I, I, I grew up, my, my parents, uh, he owned a business. And so I would go from a very early age, I can remember my mom and dad both worked in the business, and I spent a lot of hours kind of at, literally at my mom's feet. She would have her desk in the back, and there were some years that I'd be small enough, not anymore, but I'd fit under the desk, and I'd sit there with some toys or some coloring books, I don't even know, but, but I'd sit there, or I'd sit in my dad's office, and my dad's office I thought was awesome because he had all these little doohickeys and little weird things. It was a doctor's office, so I'd play with his equipment. He probably didn't know that, but I'd be messing with it and pushing buttons. And, and what was interesting, because he, even though technically being a Martinez, and it was Martinez Health that he owned, like I was an owner, but I was just a little kid. Like I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do things in that business. But what was interesting is, is about 16 years old, my, my dad started making me work. So dads, do this for your kids. I think it's good. About 12, I had to work. My dad had a few businesses. So I started in his outside business, growing palm trees and sweating and being dirty. But about 16, he helped me and he trained me and made me, because I didn't want to, and accounts payable and writing checks and like, I remember being 16 years old and meeting with a woman about her bonus. My dad would give out bonuses, and I would I'd be like, I'm so sorry you didn't meet your goals. <laughs> but I count on that bonus, and, I, and we count on you meeting your goal. But, but I moved from being a kid to actually being an owner or a participant and in the Jewish faith, I mean, they make a big deal when a boy becomes a man. You know, they still do today, but it was, it was this idea. And, and, and we don't push that enough, I don't think, in our culture. We have people 30, 40 years old that haven't become a man yet. <laughs> Kevin's like, I know. I hire those guys, and then I have to fire them. 
But it's this idea that, that you grow up into, into your inheritance, and it also comes with, with responsibility as being, being an heir. And that's what he's saying in verse 1. He says, as a child, as long, an heir, as long as he's a child, he's no different from a slave, but he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers. And so the Jewish people, they were under the law as their guardian. It was their manager. It showed them kind of how to weigh also when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. That's an interesting word. It's not used very often. That elementary principles, you, you, you might, yours might say elemental principles or elemental spirits. It's an interesting word. And go and you can research and study. And, and it has kind of a twofold meaning. And you can go and you can research and study it. But, but there is this idea that there's a, there's a spiritual side to it, that there's a demonic side to it. But there's also this idea that it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like karma, but it's like you get what you deserve. And a lot of us, we grow up and we, I mean, even at my, you know, you ever seen anybody do something bad and get away with it? And the next time they do the same thing, they get caught. And there's something in you that's like, ha, ha, ha. I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just a terrible person. But, but when people get what they deserve, you're like, ha, ha, yeah, that's that. That's what you get. But there's some of us, and especially outside of Christ, like we live under this, these elementary principles that, you know, you, you get what you deserve. For them, it might have been, oh, it didn't rain? Well, you, you didn't give the sacrifice to the rain god. You get what you deserve. Oh, you're not having kids? Well, you, well, you didn't get, do the sacrifice to the fertility god. Well, you're getting what you deserve. And Christ comes along and he sets us free from all that because the message of the gospel is we don't get what we deserve. We get grace. We get mercy. And we don't deserve any of that. And there's some of us, and, and maybe even in this room, is we know what it is to be enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Like, we think we have to do everything the perfect way in order for our life to work out. And that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that Jesus did everything perfectly. And because he did, now we're an heir of the promise. We receive the blessing that he receives because what it is in Christ. So this idea of being some mysterious way with the blessings of God given to Christ, that they come to us. But this idea of being enslaved. Verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. It's interesting. People wonder, you know, and I've heard people ask me this. They say, you know, why did it take so long for Jesus to show up? I mean, why didn't, when Adam sinned, why didn't Jesus just show up and take care of it? And, and I don't know. But I know that God's plan is perfect. And that when Jesus came on the scene, it was the perfect time. You had a, a language spoken of through most of the world. 
because the Romans had done that. You had roads that you could travel most places safely because the Romans had built that. And so God took all these things that were put in place and he used them for the glory of his gospel. It was the perfect time where some carpenter could die in the Near East and then all of a sudden that message could go all over the world. It was the perfect time. But he said, at the perfect time, when the fullness of time had come, God is never late. He's usually not early. He doesn't tell us his timetable. But we know in the fullness of time that God does what he said he would do. And it says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law. So he came and he redeemed all those, those people that were grown up under the law and all the rules and the regulations. And, and then you got to realize when it says under the law, it's not just talking about the commandments that we find here. You know, the, the Jewish tradition added a whole bunch more onto it. And, and think about how that would work. If this was the rule, don't cross this line or you're disobeying God. Well, they would come up and say, well, don't cross this line. Because if you don't cross this line, then you're never going to get to that line. And so they added more rules and more regulations until people were really just bound, trapped. There was almost nothing that full of doing something to make him angry. But now he's saying in the end of verse 5, it says, He redeemed those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's like God taking us out of one family, the family of the first Adam, and adopting us into his family as the second Adam. And it says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. See, God wants us to know what it means to know him as his son, as his child. And, and this idea of Abba, Father, like you might not have heard the word Abba unless it's that band or music group. I, I probably wouldn't know too many of their songs, but I know there's a band called Abba. But it's an Aramaic word that basically means daddy. It's very personal. You know, it's, it's, it's funny when, when my kids are in trouble, they do a lot of because they're smart, my kids are really smart, it's a lot of, yes, sir. Instantly, they're, they're smart enough to know, I ain't getting in that crossfire. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. But when we're hanging out, and when, when there's, no, there's no conflict, and when, when they haven't done anything wrong, they don't walk up to me and say, I love you, sir. Is <laughs> dad or dada, or whatever name they come in that has like a real intimate thing. And, but that's only when, they're, when I'm not mad at them, really. When they know they can approach me without fear. They're not mad at us anymore. The pen penalty for sin has been paid, and, and we can approach God with reverence, but also approach God as Daddy, as Abba Father. And this idea that God's spirit, the spirit of his son is in our hearts. 
And he is literally calling us to this, this intimacy with God. It says, you are no longer a slave. Verse 7, no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That heir means inheritance. It means, it means privilege. It means responsibility. It means blessings and grace and, and all these things that come freely to us because of, of this adoption. Verse 8, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. There's a lot of people in slavery today. I mean, we know physically around the world there are still slaves in many countries, unfortunately. That's still an issue. But there's also people in free countries like ours or others where there is no physical slavery, but there's mental slavery and emotional slavery and spiritual slavery where, where it says we're enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. Verse 9, it says, but now that you have come to know God, and I love this, or rather to be known by God. Do you know God knows you? Like that should, and I mean, that, that's kind of a scary thought. You can lie to your spouse, you can lie to your kids, you can lie to me, you can lie to yourself, but you can't lie to God. But what this is saying is like, no, no, he knows you. And he sent Jesus anyway. He knows what you did. He knows what you're going to do. Quickly forgive. You're known by him. He loves you. And then he says, well, if that's true, if he knows you and he loves you and he, and like he really knows you, he doesn't just love you because you put your best you know, foot forward. Like, no, he, he's chosen to love you no matter who you are and what you've done and what what junk is in there? He loves you. He says, if that's true, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? There's some people that they know grace mentally, but they're not living in grace. They're living where they think they need to earn God's favor and earn God's... Like, there could be people in this room that have been sitting hearing me talk about grace and the gospel for several weeks, and, and yet there's still something in, in our minds that is broken or in our hearts that, that, that we think we have to do more to please God. There's nothing you can do. That's why Jesus had to do it. And we just live in this, this, this fear, an unhealthy fear. It says, whose slaves do you want to be once more? Don't turn back. If there's anybody in this room and you're thinking about turning back to, to those things that you used to serve, stop that. Back into the, like, don't turn back. Don't, don't fall away. Don't go back into those patterns and those things that, that you think you have to do to take care of yourself. Maybe you think you, you need to lie to people so that, that people will like you rather than knowing that you can be honest because God loves you and that you can be honest. Or maybe, maybe you're looking for affection. 
in places you shouldn't look for affection rather than coming to God and, and experiencing the affection, the love that he has for you. Observe days and months and seasons and years. So they thought that if they did the right thing on the right day, God would be happy. Sometimes we, we think like that. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus did. Verse 11, he says, I'm afraid I might have labored over you in vain. What a weird thing to say. He's saying, I gave my life. I walked around Galatia. I brought you to Christ and I'm writing you this letter, but you're turning back to all this old stuff. And I'm afraid my work might be meaningless. Verse 12, it says, Brothers, I entreat you, or I beg you, or I or implore you, become as I am. Who is he? Somebody that does not trust himself, but only trusts Christ. For if I have also become as you are. It's interesting. When we spend time with people, we begin to become a little bit like them. You did me no wrong. Verse 13, you're going to get a little insight into Paul. It's kind of a little side, side trail here, but he says, You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Paul suffered in his body. If you're suffering in your body, know you're in good company. You did not scorn. It says, And although my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn me or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ. What has then become of this, your blessedness? For I testify that if possible, this is gross, if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. It's interesting. A lot of times we have this image of Paul just like walking into a city with confidence and, and the grace of God and the Holy Spirit being there. And like he heals that guy. Cast This picture we get is Paul came into this area and it seems like, I mean, from what I'm reading, something was a matter with his eyes. In fact, in one of his letters, he says, see what large letters I'm writing to you, probably because he couldn't see very well. That's, my, that's what it seems like it's saying. But Paul comes into the city, and his eyes aren't working well. And he's not coming in this great, powerful man of anointing and just strength. He comes as this weak guy who could barely see and is stumbling in the town. And they're like, well, why are you even here? And he's like, I've come here to tell you something. What are you telling us, blind man? I could picture that. You know, like, well, what are you going to give us? And he said, well, luckily it has nothing to do with me, but it's, it's, there's this one who came and who lived a perfect life and died a horrible death for you because you're not perfect, and he took the penalty of your sin. And then you see how they received him. So if you're battling with something, like, you know what this might teach some of us? If you're battling with something, a physical ailment, an emotional difficulty, a spiritual thing, you're not off the hook for service. You're not off the hook. It's not like, don't sit around and wait till you're all better. 
Now, you might not be as effective as you'd like to be, but, but go forward. And in verse 15, he says, I'm uh, sorry, verse 16, he says, Have I become an enemy by telling you the truth? Paul was no one's enemy. He had been giving them the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how Jesus is the only one who can save and, and how they needed to turn away from, from the worthless things of their past and turn to Jesus. Well, today we're going to close with a get ready. So if you're getting baptized, go get ready and we'll meet you over here by the... But there are people that have said, you know what, I want to, I want to serve Jesus and nobody else. People that know what it is to turn away from worthless things in their past and turn to Christ. And so that's what we will be doing today is celebrating a baptism. Someone being baptized into Christ, experiencing what it is to be a son of God through the spirit of God that was poured out into their hearts. But while they're getting ready and while we're waiting, would you just bow your heads just for a second? Paul was writing to these people and encouraging them not to turn back to their past behavior, to the past things that used to enslave them. I don't know that there's anybody in here that has, is in the same boat, but if, if you are struggling with turning back, turning away from the Lord, I want to pray for you right now. I've seen too many people. I've seen people in the churches I've been a part of. I've seen pastors that I've worked under. I've seen people that I've seen away from the long side turn back, turn away from the Lord and and I don't want that for any of you. So if you're battling today and you're feeling like you're on the verge of, of turning away from the Lord, with every eye closed and every head down, would you just put your hand up? I want to know who I'm praying for. Amen. Thank you for being bold enough to admit that, those who raise their hands. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Lord, know the struggles, God, that, that come in our lives that make it hard to follow Christ. Well, Lord, I pray for the people that raise their hands. I pray you would draw them near to you. I pray you would pull them close to you as Abba Father. That you would speak to them. Open their heart to you. Pour your spirit out afresh in their life. Pour grace out afresh. Pour mercy. Let them know that you love them and you know what they're going through. And you have every answer for every problem we face. And I thank you for your grace, Lord. I thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to come over here to this side over here. So we have a... Some people that are going to be baptized. And this is an honor. Jonathan, you want to come over here? Kevin, come over here. All right. So give us a second. Let me talk to these guys real quick. very warm. It's not cold. Speak life, everyone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's freezing.
but you'll be awake. Awake physically and awake spiritually. Amen? All right, sit down. your arms, hold your nose. It is an honor to baptize you, Jason, my son. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. my honor and a privilege to, to be a part of this moment. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Woo! Step right out on this. All right. I'm very proud of you guys. Here's an extra towel if you need it. I know it's, I'll let you guys go get ready. All right, stand with me, church. It is great to participate in that. Amen? Amen. Would you do me a favor? When you see those two around, if you don't get to them today, but over the next few weeks, would you just encourage them and, and offer to pray with them or whatever, but let them know that you are alongside them in this journey that we have following Jesus. Amen. God, we thank you for your word. God, help us to walk in grace. Help us to walk in your love. Help us to keep our minds and our eyes focused on Jesus. Lord, help us to be awake and not us all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>